wonderful morning so far. Uh, very good worship through song and uh, through testimony of what God is doing in Haiti. Uh, and just already hearing some of his word. It's been a very good morning so far. Uh, this morning, as most of you know, uh, this is Adam's first week at his new church in Barrie. And before we begin, I would like to just start this morning uh, with prayer for him and for us today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, uh, for this day that you have created and that you are in control of. Lord, we pray for Adam and for Angie and for Selah as they are at their new church. I pray that they are welcomed. I pray that uh, you're with him as he preaches the word and that uh, you continue to be with him as he leads them. Be with us today, Lord, as we see what your word has to say about your son. Allow us to have a better understanding of who you are and who your son is. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I would encourage you as well to continue to pray for for Adam and Angie and Selah, even though uh, they are no longer here at, at, at the rock. Um, last week, we were encouraged from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached by my gospel. And we were told, uh, first and foremost, to remember Jesus. And so today, uh, this week, I want to continue where Adam left off with that and um, examine the person of Jesus Christ, and in doing so, remember him and who he is. And what we're going to talk about today uh, is extremely important. And if we do not understand who Jesus is, then we lose the gospel. And if we look back at, at history and at other heresies that are going on in the world today, um, those stem from an incorrect understanding of who Jesus is. And therefore, we need to get this right in order to get everything else right. And so to find out who Jesus is, the only place that we can turn is Scripture, which alone is going to give us a true understanding and picture of Jesus. Over uh, the past 2,000 years, there has been much debate over who Jesus is. Um, if we were go, to go back to when the New Testament was written in the first century and to look at the first century and second century periods, we would see um, that that is really where this all started. And uh, people back then would have no problem believing that Jesus was God. They thought Jesus was God. He was not a man. He was completely God. And uh, this created many heresies, uh, things like Gnosticism, and Docetism, a whole bunch of those. Um, but overall, they believe that Jesus was God and not a man. It's very interesting, though, if you were to look at today, um, if you were to ask people who Jesus was and, and what they believe, uh, most people today would believe that Jesus was a man who actually lived uh, about 2,000 years ago in the first century in Israel. And that's a historical fact. It's not up for debate. Um, and people wouldn't argue that. But if you were to ask who he was, he was a man who would, a teacher, um, maybe a prophet, 
a revolutionary, or some other influential person of the day. Uh, But there is no chance that Jesus is God. They don't believe that. And and this is the same kind of uh, idea that we get from both the Jehovah's Witness and the Muslims, believing that he's a prophet. So who's right? Is Jesus the God who created the universe, or is Jesus a man who lived 2,000 years ago and died? Yes. Jesus is both God and man, and uh, that's what we call the incarnation, and that's what we're going to talk about today and, and next week. So the incarnation, uh, the word incarnate, literally means in the flesh. And therefore, if we hear the incarnation, it is referring to God becoming a man. That's the incarnation. And so this week and next week, we're going to examine this and see why this not only is true, but why it is necessary. And today we're going to look at and, and how uh, the scriptures present Jesus as fully God and as fully man. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at how both of those natures work together. So let us begin this morning then. Um, by looking at the divinity of Jesus, so the fact that Jesus is God. So how can we be sure that Jesus is really God? Well, there are two ways, um, or many ways, but two main ways are the Bible gives him a divine status and divine functions. So let's look at, at this status. Um, first, we see his divine status, and this is displayed in his relationship with the Father, with God the Father. So first we see Jesus is eternal and that he has always existed. And if you turn to John 1, 1, we see that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And in verse 14, we find out that the Word is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1, 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. So if Jesus is creator, or the the means which the world was created, then he has to have always existed and not been part of the creation. We also see that Jesus is equal in dignity to the Father. In uh, John chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Father, or does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. So we see that Jesus and God are equal in dignity with one another. Jesus is also uh, presented in Scripture as being universally supreme over all things. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3, uh, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is responsible for the upholding of the entire universe, and in doing so, Proving that he is supreme and in control of all things. 
Jesus is also presented to be the perfect revelation of God. And uh, even though scripture is clear that God cannot be seen, it is also clear that Jesus is his perfect re- revelation. We see God through Jesus. And, and John 14 verse 9 proves that by saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Another way to put this is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the incarnation. We also see that Jesus is the embodiment of truth. In the Old Testament, um, we saw that Yahweh was presented as the Lord of truth, that he had an, or has an upright character. Uh, what he says is dependable, the covenants that he made. And his actions are consistent. And uh, Adam has really poured that into us over this t- over his time here, showing the wonder of the Lord in the Old Testament. And when we look in the New Testament, John declares that Jesus is the full, uh, that John declares Jesus to be full of truth. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And ultimately, Jesus himself is truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So all of these statements then prove Jesus' divine status in relation to the Father. So Jesus, these all point, Scripture is clear, clearly pointing that Jesus Christ is God. But what about the way that we as humans interact with Jesus? Well, first we see that Jesus is the recipient of praise and worship. And I think that's been expressed this morning very well. Uh, there has been a lot of praise and worship for Jesus here. And in Matthew 28, verse 9, we see, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus Christ is worshipped, and only God can be worshipped, and, and that was clearly uh, in the laws that they were given, uh, to, that Moses was given, right? Also, Jesus is addressed in prayer, and prayed too. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 4, it says, Paul, uh, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sothesis to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is he addressed in prayer, uh, but sometimes the people even call out to him with requests. And this is seen multiple places. And an example of this is during the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, where it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And in terms of 
of uh, his divine status, there's much more we could talk about. The scriptures are full of verses and places that point to Jesus Christ being divine and uh, telling us that he is divine. What about in function? How do we know that Jesus is divine? How does the Bible present that to us? Well, first, it presents to us that Jesus Christ is the sustainer and creator of the entire universe. And as we already looked at Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3, and it says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, through whom, uh, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Uh, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And here we clearly see that Jesus was part of the creation process and uh, that now, even today, he upholds and sustains the entire universe, which only God does. Again, proving that he is God. And so the same mighty word that Jesus used to bring the world into existence, he now uses to sustain and uphold all things. Jesus is also seen as uh, someone who taught and healed with authority. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, these two places we see Jesus go all throughout Galilee, Galilee teaching and healing people. And not only did he teach, um, but he taught with authority. And this is something that the people had never heard or seen before. It was a special authority. And Matthew seven twenty-eight to 29 uh, shows this, and it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So Jesus taught and healed with authority. But it doesn't stop there. Not only did Jesus heal, but he even had the power to raise people from the dead. And uh, if you were to go to the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, we see that God alone has authority to raise people from the dead. And when we get to the New Testament and we, we look at the gospel narratives and see what um, who Jesus, what he did, uh, we see there are three records of resurrection, where he th- uh, resurrected three people. The first is the widow of Nain in uh, Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17. There's uh, Jarius' wife in Mark 5, 21 to 24, and Lazarus in John 11, 1 to 44. So these three resurrection uh, times, and again, only God can, can bring people back from the dead. He, only he has the authority to do so. But on top of that, Jesus even had the power to raise himself from the dead. And furthermore, one day he is going to play an important role in the last resurrection when he will raise us all from the dead. So Jesus Christ, as because he is God, has the authority over death to raise people from the dead. And we also see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And if you're reading through the narrative in Mark and you, uh, you get to the narrative with the paralytic man, um, we see that the scribes, rightly, the scribes and Pharisees rightly talk to Jesus in chapter 2, verse 7, saying that only God has the authority to forgive sins. And then we see right there he forgives the paralytic man's sins. 
And then all throughout his ministry, he's forgiving people's sins. But only God can do that. So what I want to point out then is that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is God. And specifically, he's the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And there's a lot more proof in the Bible to to point you to that uh, and to prove that Jesus Christ is God. But I hope that what I've presented today just clearly uh, shows how he shares in a nature with God. He is God himself. Jesus is God. So what about his humanity? Because the Bible does not simply stop with the fact that he was God. Um, it also talks that and tells us that he was a man. And for as much proof as there is that Jesus is God, there's also proof that he is a man. And uh, let's look at the humanity of Jesus. And just a great quote here um, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the sec- uh, 22nd question says, How did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? And this is the answer. Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and born of her, yet without sin. So let's look at the humanity of Christ, where that began, and that would be with the conception of Christ. And so scripture tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And we're going to be, I'm sure, hearing a lot more about that in the coming weeks as we approach Christmas. Um, But this is a miraculous work. This is not something that happens. This is the only time it's ever happened. And uh, I don't have time to get into too much about the virgin birth today, uh, but I do want to point out a couple really important things, that um, the incarnation is destroyed if we view the virgin conception as meaning the beginning of the person of Christ. So if Mary, like when, uh, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, if we say that is when Jesus began, if we believe that, the incarnation is lost because that means he's not God. If he is God, then he has to have always existed. So uh, conception here is not the beginning of Jesus. Also, salvation is destroyed if we do not believe in the virgin conception. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, The virgin birth shows us that Jesus is unique. Different from the pattern of humanity that we have seen try and fail over and over and over again in the Old Testament. We've seen God work with man after man after man, and they fail. They cannot live up to his standards. Sin wins every single time. So Jesus Christ is the beginning of a new pattern. He's doing something different because what has been done in the past hasn't worked. And so we need to realize uh, two things from the virgin birth. First, the Son of God has become a man taking on a human body and soul, which is miraculous. And second, the virgin birth 
uh, allows Jesus to be completely human except for inheriting our sinfulness, our sinful natures. And when I say that, um, I, I want to stress that that does not mean that sex inside of marriage is sinful, and that's how our sinfulness is passed down, but that God has created a way for Jesus to be born as a human, yet be sinless, as Adam and Eve were in the beginning. And that is what the, the, the Holy Spirit did inside of Mary, which is amazing. He made a sinless human being with the the God with God as the person. It is awesome. We also see the idea of Jesus coming in the flesh, and um, that's what we remember. Incarnation means in the flesh. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share the same flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus Christ shares the same flesh and blood as we do, and he literally took on a a full human body and shared flesh with us, becoming human beings like us. So Jesus did things like humans did. Like us, he was born. He experienced childbirth. Not that we remember that, but he was born just like us. Like us, he grew through childhood. Like us, he had a body that could be broken. Like us, he had a body that could shed blood. Like us, he ate and got hungry. Like us, he drank and got thirsty. Like us, he rested and got tired. Like us, he has a soul. Like us, he has emotions. An example of this is when he wept. Like us, he has needs. Like us, he prayed to the Father. Like us, he experienced suffering. And like us, he died. And so after the resurrection, we even see that Jesus still has a a body just like we will have when we are one day resurrected. So Jesus Christ has become a man living the life that we couldn't and being raised in the body that we will one day have, and that that we will be one day. But there's one difference with Jesus in us, other than his God, that he is God. In his humanity, the other difference is that he was sinless. Um, Jesus went through his entire life. He did all those things like us, yet he never sinned, which is amazing. And uh, other people can't find a fault in him. And we see that in John uh, chapter 8, verse 46, where he says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? Um, And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, we see, uh, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, in the talking of Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is our sinless Lord Jesus Christ, who was a man. But that's not enough. Jesus was even tempted. And here we see Jesus being tempted to, uh, an, an example of that, sorry, is 
in the temptation narratives where he's in the wilderness for 40 days, right? And we see that Jesus is ultimately being tempted by Satan to escape uh, and not obey the will of God, which was for him to come and die and suffer to bring eternal life. Satan was trying to, to tempt him to not do that, but he didn't give in. And Satan gave everything he had. He tempted Jesus as much as he possibly could. And Jesus still didn't cave. He remained faithful and sinless. Again, uh, there's more proof that Jesus is a man. But this gives us a good idea that the Bible presents Jesus as fully God and fully man. So what do we do now? What uh, what we've seen today is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And I know the math doesn't add. I, I'm not great with math, but I know you can't have 200%. In this case, you can. Uh, Jesus is the fullness of God uh, dwelling in a human being who is a full man. It's pretty, it's immaculate. It's, it's incredible to think that that is possible and that it happened. So is it... Is it really necessary for this to be true? And that leads us to our main point for today. If we do not believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God, we lose salvation. If we do not believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God, we lose salvation. Why is this? Because only the God-man could provide a sacrifice that would bear God's wrath and the penalty for sin. Only God-man could do that. Only God could do that. Only the God-man could represent us in our humanity because he was man. And so we see a normal man has to pay the penalty for their own sin, and therefore they can't take God's wrath and pay the penalty for, for all man's sins. We can't do that. Only God himself could do that. And only a man can represent us in our sinfulness. God couldn't do that. Only a man could do that. And so Jesus Christ is this perfect being who is fully God and fully man who is able to be our representative and save us from the sin, from sin. Jesus is the only one that can pay the penalty from our sins. He is the only one worthy to do so because he is God and he is the only one capable because he is a sinless man. So therefore, if Jesus Christ is not 100% God and 100% man, he cannot save us from our sins. But we praise the Lord because scripture clearly teaches that he is 100% God and he is 100% man and he has paid the penalty for our sins. The work of God on the, of Christ on the cross is useless if we don't have the person of Christ being fully God and fully man. We cannot separate the two. They, they, it doesn't work. Only Christ can save us, and, he can only, and only he can save us because he is God and because he is man. We cannot compromise here. And now, if we think about this, this perfect being of Jesus Christ and how he was the perfect sacrifice... That leads us to praise and the Lord. For he has conquered sin because he is the only one who can do it. 
God has made a way for salvation. At what time seemed impossible, he has done it. So let us praise the Lord, for he has made a way to save us from sins. And that is Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God, the perfect sacrifice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect sacrifice, that you sent your son Jesus, uh, who is fully you, who is fully God, to go and become a man so that we could have salvation. Lord, we thank you that in your infinite wisdom you, you knew that this was a, was a way to solve the problem of sin and to keep all the promises that you've made before. I pray, Lord, that as we think about your Son and how he is God and how he is man, it leads us to worship and praise you better as we wonder in awe of how great you are and how wise you are and how awesome you are. In your name, amen.